Welcome to the College Football Bros, the podcast that's a week away from preview season. And now, here are your hosts, Michael, Ryan, and Trey Newman. Welcome to the College Football Bros podcast. I am Michael Newman, and I'm joined by the middle brother. Oh, yes, that's me, Ryan Newman. And by the oldest brother. That would be me, Trey Newman. All right, this is our mailbag episode. Thanks, everyone, who sent in a a great batch of questions. We do have some five-star reviews to get to. Actually, a record number of five-star reviews. We got seven this past week, so... Thank you very much for that. And since there's so much to read, I'm going to, I think in post-production, I'm literally going to speed up our voices like two times speed just so we can get through them quickly. Does that sound good to you guys? Or we could just like speak really fast. No, let's just speak normal <laughs> and I'll just, I'll do it in post. So Ryan, why don't you, it's going to be chipmunk, Ryan. Why don't you uh, read the, read the first review? All right. Coach Barrett. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to work out. <laughs> All right, from Coach Barrett here, 1072, he says, These guys are great. I used to listen to them with my athletes. Now that I'm a principal, uh, I listen when mowing and working. One episode and you'll be hooked. Hook them. Awesome. All right, we got Rake the Jake. I love it. I get genuinely excited when I see a new episode. The Delatinous Surgery with Cater almost gave me a heart attack, though. <laughs> I was digging a four-foot-deep hole when I heard that, and I almost tipped the wheelbarrow back in on myself and pro- proclaimed there was nothing left to live for. <laughs> that's That's harsh for, like... Not the number one receiver, maybe for J.J. Holloman, that yeah, would have been appropriate. It was Jake Fromm or something, all right. Yeah, Jake Fromm, yeah. All right, anyway, thanks for the review. Uh, next up, Mariano Otero, who says he's a fan from Argentina, which is awesome. Wow. He says, the college football bros are fun, informative, and full of good insights. Coming from a country where sports go year-round, the nine-month-a-year college football drought is more tolerable with the CFB bros' random trivia, infinite over-under analysis, and meaningless chit-chattery. Thanks, and go Stanford. This is the year we make the playoff, when no one expects it. He's right about that. Nobody expects it. Yeah, but in yeah. Argentina, they're 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 uh, they're playing right now in Copa America. They're they're playing Brazil. Oh, so yeah, that that'll that'll stand the test of time for this podcast. Sure will. <laughs> Hopefully, Argentina wins. Uh, all right, Ken K, sixteen forty eight. CFB Bros is a really in-depth podcast, but they are able to keep it light and break it down from a fundamental standpoint. I am a college football nerd who enjoys the depth of knowledge, but this is the first college football podcast that hosts don't sound like robots when going in-depth. Kudos, boys. Also, go Deeks, most underrated team in the ACC the last three seasons. All right, hard to disagree there. All right, we got Colin Wayan. Hopefully I'm saying that last name right for you, Colin. Hey, Paul, I clean up real good. Told you. <laughs> Do you guys know what he's talking about? Is there something I'm not getting there? There's something I'm not getting. So maybe okay. he thought he was reviewing. <laughs> like, am I missing an inside joke? Maybe he thought he was reviewing Paul Feinbaum's show. I don't know, but true. Let us know, Colin. Let us know. We'll take the five-star review, though. Yeah, we will. Uh, next is Eric Hines. He says, one of the best college football pods, the bros offer great insight on college football players and coaches for all conferences. In addition to being extremely knowledgeable, they are witty and have great dialogue throughout the college football season and offseason. The Crystal Ball is by far the best segment. Keep up the great work and go dogs. Man, we're pretty great, according to these people. <laughs> Man, I know, right? All right, our last one. Finally, lucky number seven. Uh, Nate Diggity Dog, 1447. Hilarious and insightful. The College Football Bros podcast is the best podcast for college football out there. My brother Oliver put me on and I'm hooked. I've binged on every episode, and I feel like I know you guys personally. Thank you for blessing the people with your knowledge. We spread the gospel. That's what we do. All right. Back to normal speed now. Thanks to everyone for those great reviews. Last thing we have before we start answering mailbag questions, we want to announce that next week we are starting our 2019 preview series. So that means two episodes per week. We're starting with the ACC. So we'll have an episode for the Atlantic and an episode for the Coastal. If you haven't already subscribed... Now's definitely a good time. All right. Now let's get to the mailbag. Trey, 
What's our first question? It's from at Susan USC. Are we going to hear about, or excuse me, are we going to hear anything about any teams other than Alabama and Clemson this year? Uh, well, I sure hope so. Uh, although those <laughs> two teams are uh, the clear top two squads right now. They've dominated the college football world lately. But, you know, you're, it's college football. You're going to hear plenty about other, other squads, hopefully some off-the-radar teams. Uh, it's always fun if that happens. Maybe I'm Susan USC, so I'm thinking she's out west. So I'm going to maybe say there's a, a team from the Pac-12. Maybe Utah can make some noise or... Uh, I'm not going to really say the Trojans, but... I was going to say, I thought you were going to say USC. Yeah, Throw her a know. bone. Come on. Throw me a bone. I'm, I'm going to go with the Utes. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Fine. Uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about. A lot. You know, you're going to have Georgia, maybe Ohio State with Justin Fields, Michigan and Harbaugh getting over the top, maybe. Oklahoma, Jalen Hurts, Lincoln Riley again. Uh, is Texas back, especially after that LSU game that they have early in the season? That might be a lot of talk. So I think so. Yeah. No, I agree. I, and I'm honestly offended a little bit by the question because our podcast in particular, we cover all of college football. We're not just, you know, constantly talking about Nick Saban, Alabama. So uh, anyway, next question. When Saban leaves Alabama, either on a gurney or by retirement, guys, that was supposed to be a joke. The contradiction there. I just literally said we wouldn't be talking about Nick Saban. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it's not just, our fault. The guy asked the question. Oh, oh well, the listeners... Get, gave me a little chuckle, I'm thinking. I can hear it from here. Okay. Give me a little chuckle. Sure. Uh, anyway, let me start over that question. <laughs> and it's from, by the way, from at Mr. Bryce Smith on Twitter. He says, when Saban leaves Alabama, either on a gurney or by retirement, who's the next head coach? I used to think Kirby Smart, but he's pretty much locked with Georgia, and Clemson won't let Dabo go. Thanks, and roll tide. So what do you think, Trey? So the easy answer is Mike Price. Right. Oh, yeah, for right. sure. Roll tide. Uh, I hope if you if you don't know that reference, you need to go back and look at it. But uh, <laughs> honestly, I still think Dabo is going to be a major player. Uh, you know, he's he's obviously he's got a great thing going at Clemson. He he can be a legend there. He's already a legend there. But when the alma mater calls it, it get, it's intriguing. And but it in the college football or in the coaching world, it's amazing how fast things can change. Uh, you know, there's guys that we haven't even heard of right now, or at least we're not even considering to be at a job like right. that. So it, it, it's going to be so fluid in the next few years. Yeah, it's it's a tough question. Uh, but I don't think it'll be either of those two guys that he mentioned, Smart or uh, Dabo. I'm going to go ahead and, and steal Michael's answer because I know what his answer is going to be. Um, I'm going to say Billy Napier. Yeah, that's one of my answers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Uh, he was the receivers coach at Alabama for a few years. I think he was a grad assistant or maybe offensive analyst a few years before that at Bama. So he's had already two stints there. He's only 39. So even if Saban does, I don't know, last another decade or something like that, Napier's still going to be relatively young. And I think he's going to have great success wherever he goes. He's a great coach. So I'll say Napier. That's my that's my shot. Yeah, I also went with lean towards young guys because who knows, Saban could be there, could be there a while. So my top one is Neil Brown. He's already had success in the state of Alabama at Troy. And now he's got a chance at West Virginia. If he has a good few years there, you know, he'll be looking to, to take another leap to an even bigger program. Uh, and then Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. Yeah. If, if he's successful there. I mean, I don't necessarily expect him to have enough success to get the Alabama job, but um, who knows? He could. Yeah, that's true. All right. We're moving on here to uh, our next question. It comes in a voicemail from Rodney. Hi, this is Rodney Keene from Ash Force, Georgia. My question would be, what coaches in the Power Five 
would be on the hot seat if they go 500 or less uh, in the 2019 college football season? Thank you. Okay, I really like this question. Yeah. But I do have to say, he said 500 or less, and there's obviously a big difference between 6-6 six and six and like 2-10. and 10, Right. But we'll do our best here. Okay, so I'm going to get us started with the ACC. And this, I think there's maybe the most guys that would be on the hot seat of, of any conference. I went 6. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. So I've got Willie Taggart, obviously, right? His seat would be on fire. Justin Fuente. I said wow. would be on the hot seat if that if that bowl streak ends and you know he's had a lot of defections. I, I'm confident that he'll turn it around. He wouldn't if, get fired. What? He he wouldn't get fired, but he might. I guess he'd be put him on the hot seat for next the year after. Right. He didn't say get fired. He right. said yeah, be on the hot seat. So no, he definitely okay, wouldn't get fair enough. He definitely wouldn't get fired. But okay, that bowl streak ends. That wouldn't be good. M- Manny Diaz at Miami, even though he's just getting started, you go four and eight, five and seven at Miami. You're you're immediately on the hot seat. Mm, you don't, I don't think know. so? I mean, he hasn't even started there. I know, but but flash forward a year, like Willie Taggart, we would it would have been crazy to think that Willie Taggart could be on the hot seat. But here we are, yeah. one year in, and he kind of is. All right, all right. And then there's three guys who I think are in a similar boat: Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, Steve Adazio at Boston College, yeah, and Dave Doran at NC State. Ooh, I disagree on Dave Doran. Yeah, he's he's a little safer for sure than the other he's, guys. He can have a bad year, and he still wouldn't be on the hot seat. All right. Well, I guess it depends on how bad it is, but I just think none of those guys have built up a ton of goodwill. Maybe Dave Dorn a little more. Well, especially Narduzzi and Adazio, but... Okay. All right. Fair enough. So, maybe five. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take uh, the Big 12, and it's tough. Uh, I think it's pretty thin. We, we've talked about this in the past of you know how uh, there are a lot of new coaches in the in the Big 12. Uh, obviously, there's there's 10 teams. But the only one I really looked at was Matt Rule and Baylor. Say they go on, if they go 500, maybe not. But if, if like we said, if they go four and eight or maybe worse or somehow, his seat's got to be at least warm. Um, but, but the other, the other spots, you know, it'd be a stretch to say Gary Patterson and Oki State at, uh, with Gundy. Like if they oh, had yeah. dreadful seasons, they're not going to be on the hot seat. Uh, Patterson, so, maybe it would start yep. some rumblings because it'd be three That's out of four. I, there might be like a mumbling, but yeah, it's not yeah. hot. So really the only person I could fathom was, was maybe Matt Rule and Baylor. How about Tom Herman? How about Tom Herman? If he goes five and seven with Sam Ellinger as the, the quarterback? Well, here's the thing. Well, here's, okay. That's fair. But like the thing is, is I'm weighing into the fact that that's not going to happen. Well, I know that it's hard to separate that, but we have to imagine that it does. The question says if it does happen. Yeah, because like Oklahoma is not going to go five and seven. Right. But, but I, even I, if I they did, you. I hear Lincoln you. Riley would be completely like 100 percent safe. Tom Herman, things would be a lot different if he goes five and seven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did just win a New Year's Six Bowl. But yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. All right. So that's all I got. All right. Well, I, I got the Big Ten here. So the first, of course, Chris Ash. That's just yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Already, if he goes, although if he goes five hundred, he's getting an extension. So <laughs> that's true. Good point. Good point. <laughs> um, the next one is Tom Allen from Indiana. Yeah, I mean he's had back to back five and seven years. They've been competitive, but just I mean, if he would have snuck in, snuck up and won one more of those games, then he's great at Indiana. You know, if <laughs> yeah. they make a bowl game, they're happy. So, uh, he but he would be there. And then you got to go Lovey Smith, of course. This is going to be his fourth year. They maybe showed a little bit of signs last year, but 
we'll see what happens. They really, they really need to turn it around this year for him to stay off the hot seat. And then I also said Jim Harbaugh. Whoa. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, if he goes six and six when this is like their year. Yeah, it wouldn't be good, but I just think uh, maybe I'm wrong. I just feel Harbaugh like the defender. administration. What's that? No, yeah, I, you're I a said, Harbaugh defender. The, Mike. I'm a Harbaugh defender too, but Michael's the the king of this podcast. I know. I just think the administration, like they were, ta- there was talk about a, a lifetime contract. He didn't get that, did he? Or no, not that I know of. No. no, but there was talk of it. So I just think they're they're committed to him, and I think the recruiting's good enough. I just, even if they went six and six, I just would still feel confident in the program. But maybe I don't know. I mean, they have everything coming back. I, they that's got true. Their senior I mean, quarterback supposed to be a great offense. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. It'd be. Yeah, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be pretty crazy. Um, but that was really it for me in, in the Big Ten. I, I didn't really see anybody else that I thought would be have to seriously sweat it out. Maybe James Franklin a, a little bit, but not really. Yeah, I left him off too. I think you left off the most obvious one, where if he went 500 or worse, he is 100% on the hot seat. Ryan Day. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. See, that's another thing. I just didn't consider him because it's not going to happen. But, <laughs> I know, but if he did, yeah. there's no doubt about it. I mean, he... Five and seven, he's gone. I would think. Yeah, even no, six he, and he, six, maybe. There's no way you can do that. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He hasn't proven enough. He's proven nothing, obviously, as a head coach. So, but yeah. again, yeah, we don't expect that to happen. Yeah, I didn't even consider it just for that reason. Yeah. Okay, Pac-12. I have three coaches. Clayton Helton is one. Yeah, that's obvious. Kevin Sumlin at Arizona, already off to a disappointing five and seven start. If he misses another bowl game, definitely on the hot seat. Yep. And then this one, it would have to be bad, but Herm Edwards, just because people were already skeptical of the hire, and this is kind of his first year without Manny Wilkins, without a, a, a ready-made team. So if it's too far under 500, he'll he'll be on that hot seat. Yeah, for sure. But but that's all I had. I left off Chip Kelly. I just think they're going to give him a few years. Um, Justin Wilcox. I just think the expectations there aren't all that high. And then Jonathan Smith, I mean, yeah, sure, if he goes 0-12, he's on the hot seat, but 4-8, yeah. and eight, he's fine. So I'm going to take a look at the SEC. Uh, I think one you have to include is Will Muschamp at South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, this And the other, you, which is kind of making national news, it seems like every year, but is Gus Malzahn. Uh, whether that's fair or not, personally, I don't think it, it would be fair. Spe- well, especially this year with their amazingly difficult schedule and, and a freshman quarterback. But that aside, he would still be on the hot seat in most people's eyes. Oh, yeah. And then the last one that I could potentially see is maybe Barry Odom if the, if Mizzou just had a terrible season. If they just went like 2-10 yeah. or something. Yeah, I think it'd have to be pretty bad. But yeah. Maybe Matt Luke. Yeah. Yeah, I had Matt Luke on the list as well. Eventually, he's going to have to show progress. And then for me, LSU with Ed Orgeron. I mean, he was on yeah. the hot seat as recently as, what, a year ago? Yeah, no, so he was. So if he goes five and seven, they, that's that's not going to be acceptable. What about Jeremy Pruitt? If he has, this is a second year. That's right. I had him on the list too. That's that's a good one. I mean, yep. anything less than six and six would be severely disappointing there, so... Cool. All right. Yep. That was a fun question. I liked it. Yeah. All right. Our next one comes from at Austin Bochart. How often do you guys get back to Nebraska? And when you do, do you have certain cravings? Boy, we uh, we don't get back as much as we probably should. Um, usually, what, about once every 
three, four, four years maybe or so. We we get back for for a game depending on. I've what. gone back a little more often, but yeah, yeah, I've gone a little less often. I've missed missed a trip or two. Yeah, that's true. You did. I think you missed the last one we took. I think, but um, so we need to do more though. But uh, as far as cravings, I. I I like going to Culver's. I mean, obviously, Runs is really good, but uh, for me, Culver's, we don't have that out here in, in Southern California, so it, that kind of takes the cake for me. How about Broncos? <laughs> is it Was that still there? I think it was, it was hanging that, on. It was hanging on, right? I feel like I remember going to Broncos, and it was, as I remember, really good. No, no, I remember it. I just didn't know if it was still there, but it, it was very good. Oh, yeah, I think it's still there. I think it's still there. Yeah. I, uh, I've been a little more, more frequently, but Runza definitely, I mean, I've had Runza shipped to me in California. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, literally. Valentino's pizza is, is a must too. Misty's for their prime rib. I mean, obviously any meat or any steak in, in Nebraska is going to be quality. So yep. I, I do miss the food. All right. Next question is an email from Adam who's an Auburn fan in Chicagoland. He says, bros, since the beginning of the use of instant replays, college football only relies on the TV network cameras slash feeds for replays. Because of this, we are often missing game-changing angles, views, and clear-cut proof. Why hasn't college football taken their cues from tennis and European soccer and set up numerous high-speed 360-degree cameras at strategic locations? For example, the length of the sideline and, of course, the goal line. This would make replay reviews much more effective and efficient. What's the problem? Ryan. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. Uh, you know, especially he, the, he mentions the tennis. You know, you see the, I, I don't really watch tennis all that much, but when you do, you see like w- they just try to challenge if the ball was in or out and it just shows you very clearly if it hit the line or not. And yep, there's just no debating it if it's the way it is. So I'm not sure why football, college or pro, doesn't try to adopt that or somehow work it in maybe there's some logistical reason that we don't really know about or but i mean if i don't see why there would be so i'm not sure what the problem is i i couldn't agree more with adam uh you know college football makes a ton of money uh, i don't understand like another example is michael you probably always bring this up i don't understand why we're still using chains it's crazy it's uh, crazy or, or or at least maybe have at the very least consistent goal line cameras or, or put a damn camera in the, the, the 10 yard chain if you're going to have one. Cause so often the replay is at an angle where you, it's impossible to be a hundred percent certain. It's frustrating. Yeah, it is. And, and you'd think with this, they would start maybe, maybe expense is an issue. I don't know how much this all would cost, but you'd think for the playoff, like start with those games because there's such high stakes and I'm sure there's plenty of money to go around. So. Yeah, you would think they would start with those. I don't know when we'll get that, but it is crazy that we're looking at plays and you're saying, is that football across the goal line or not? And we just can't answer it. It just seems like right. technology could solve that so easily. Is is this foot out of bounds? or Yeah, things like that too, yeah. Okay, uh, our next question, we got an email from John. Are the three conferences who play nine conference games shooting themselves in the foot regarding getting into the playoffs? Nine conference games guarantees seven more losses in a given conference. Meanwhile, Alabama, LSU, and the rest of the SEC are playing the likes of Mercer in the middle of November, while Ohio State, for example, is losing a ninth conference game to Purdue. It seems to me that regardless of who the ninth conference game is against, the grind and wear and tear of conference play is truly becoming detrimental to these three conferences getting teams into the playoffs. Playoff, should say. (laughs) Yeah. Especially in light of the fact that the playoff committee seems to disregard strength of schedule. Hmm. 
uh, your thoughts would be most appreciated. All right. I liked this question a lot. I thought a lot about it. Um, but before I, I give my answer, Ryan, can you, uh, I'd like you to say go off queen. Go off queen? Well, I will. Thanks, Ryan, for that cue. So first, I'm going to disagree with the fact that the committee... <laughs> I don't think you know what you just said there, Ryan. I, I don't. All right. Well, we'll just move on. Uh, I don't think they disregard strength of schedule. I mean, last year, you had two loss Georgia. They were that first team out of the playoff ahead of one loss Ohio State. So they took it into account there. The year before, going into conference championship weekend, two loss Auburn was second in the country, ahead of undefeated Wisconsin, ahead of a one loss Oklahoma. So they're not just counting losses. I, I do think they're taking into account. Uh, but to, I guess, more squarely address the question, I think the whole eight or nine conference schedule is i just think it's it's overrated i mean maybe it matters a little bit but the reason people usually bring it up is they're complaining that the sec only plays eight and so they have an easier schedule or they have that cupcake late in the season but even with that game there the sec schedules overall on average are way harder than the other power five schedules because the sec is just so much better right i looked at phil Steele's strength of schedule ratings for 2019 SEC teams, on average, had the 19th most difficult schedule. The next closest conferences were the Big Ten and Pac-12 at 30th. So, you know, should those conferences go down to eight conference games and make their schedules even easier? I mean, I guess maybe, but it's already easier than the SEC. So I I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I don't know if they're they're shooting themselves in the foot. Uh, but it is a little bit unfortunate that not all conferences play their schedules the or their conference schedules the same way. But, you know, like you're talking about, Michael, even if they did, it's not like all conferences are created equal. Because, right. you know, you, you could definitely argue, even without stats, that an SEC eight-game SEC slate is as hard as any nine-game nine slate in, in other conferences. Now, the other side of the argument, and I don't think this is true, but some people tend to claim it. If Ohio State can't beat Purdue, then they don't belong in the playoff. Like that's what people say. So yeah, they might, they might not have had to play Purdue. They could have scheduled some Miami of Ohio or something. But you know, at the end of the day, that, that's one, that's one argument that I don't, I don't necessarily agree with, but that's what people say. Yeah. I'm kind of, I mean, I, I hear that side of the argument, but I'm going to lean more towards kind of what Michael has, has been saying and Trey, you kind of agreed with as well. It, it doesn't really make that huge of a difference, maybe a little bit, but like Michael attested to, the committee does a good job of finding the four best teams, regardless of if you have two losses. Auburn was a great point there a couple years ago. So quality losses don't hurt as much as they probably did even before the committee came about. So I'd say the the conferences who play nine games, I'd say they're more like maybe stubbing their toe a little bit instead of just shooting <laughs> themselves in the foot. You know what I mean? So Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Uh, okay, our next question actually is going to be a top five list. So at the underscore D.A. Powell asked us on Twitter a question about our favorite tailgate foods. And since the bros are generally not the ones in charge of food on game day, we thought we'd bring in my girlfriend, Sarah, and Trey's wife, Allie, to give their top five game day foods. So Trey and I are going to try and share the mic here and uh, turn it over to you guys. Hello. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Um, So yeah, since we don't typically do as much tailgating these days, um, we're usually at the Newman residence. Um, 
we'll give our, our top game day food items. So why don't you kick it off, Allie? All right. So coming in at number five, we have the veggie platter. Oh, gosh. Oh, boom. <laughs> a distant, right, a right, distant all right. food. All right. Hear me out. I know Man. cut up carrot sticks aren't exactly game day food. However, we have some pretty heavy hitters coming up on our list here. So sometimes you need to mix in a veggie in between your bowls of melted cheese dip and beers. <laughs> Fair enough. We call it balance. Exactly. Yeah. And I definitely have to have maybe a little bit of dipping sauce with it to make it a little easier. Right. More like finger food veggies too, like some carrots, maybe celery. Like some barbecue sauce maybe to dip it in or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I would say maybe if you're sticking with the veggies, the salad's a little too intimidating. So yeah, I think just like a platter, maybe even if you want to go fancy, some little caprese skewers might be nice. Oh, that might be um, a little too fancy. I don't know what that is, honestly. <laughs> I'm thinking carrots, celery, and ranch. Those, that seems exactly. pretty, yep. pretty solid for this crew. And it lets you, you feel a little less guilty knowing that you can keep eating the other stuff as long as you had a couple veggies in there. Right. So number four, uh, this one might be a little controversial or maybe it's not. Um, it's sort of a compromise um, that we have it a little bit low on the list because Allie and I happen to disagree, but I would say chicken wings. Hmm. I think <laughs> absolutely. It's a good one to have on there. A lot of people like it. Yeah, I can agree. definitely agree that it's more of like, I mean, it's definitely synonymous with game day. I mean, that's what everyone has, especially... Um, at bars and everything. Personally, I just think it's a little too much to gnaw on a chicken bone. Um, but that's just me. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Sarah. I'm not a I'm not a chicken wing kind of guy. But hey, go boneless then. Boneless are great. Yeah, I could do strips. I could do bites. Boneless chicken wings. That's fine. Anything like that. Just yeah, not the bones. I mean, put <laughs> buffalo sauce and blue cheese on anything, and I'll eat it. So. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not really too picky there. All right, number three. So something I never really grew up with, uh, but I've grown to love, the casserole. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mama Newman makes a mean casserole. (laughs) Uh, We're talking noodles, ground beef, cheese, some other ingredients. I don't really want to know what they are. (laughs) Uh, Covered in tater tots, and it's baked to perfection. Uh, The best thing is that you can pop that sucker in the oven. Come halftime, it's ready. You don't have to do anything to it. It's perfect game day food. Absolutely. Yep. Very easy. And I would imagine when you're snacking all day, it's kind of nice to get something in your stomach a little more substantial. And it has that comfort food feeling, I think. That's kind of what's all what you want on football season. And it's got a really creative name, too. You guys didn't bring up the name of of mom's casserole. It's called hamburger tater tot casserole. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I do love those types of those casseroles. Those are um, delicious. Absolutely. Yeah. And then number two, we have dips and chips. And I would say that definitely the most classic is the seven layer dip, definitely with a good bag of salty tortilla chips. Um, But to be honest, I could do without the olives. You know, I feel like everybody has a certain layer they want to leave off the seven layer dip. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe some in this crew may leave off four or five of the layers. I don't know. (laughs) I'm leaving off all seven, honestly. (laughs) I'm just eating the chips. (laughs) I have, I Um, agree with the dip, chips and dip for game day. They're, they're critical. You need queso, guacamole, seven layer. I mean, I can go on all day mm -hmm. if you want me to. Personally, I'm a fan of the artichoke dip. 
Um, I still haven't brought it over to a Newman gathering. It's probably for the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suggested it for one of the first times going over to a game day. And I think Michael just immediately started laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. Sarah, I'm pretty no. sure I brought seven layer for my first game day. And I You're think I was day. the only one that ate it. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little misleading. It sounds like a vegetable dip, but it's really more of a cheese dip. Yeah. Yeah, thought. keep telling yourself that. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're on to number one. Gentlemen, and maybe a few ladies out there that listen to this podcast, uh, we <laughs> present to you the number one game day food, the Little Smoky. Mm-hmm. Uh, these versatile little mini hot dogs are the holy grail of game day food. Whether you chase them around a bowl with a toothpick, you bake them into cornbread muffins, mm-hmm. or you wrap them in a crescent roll, these things are a personal favorite. Uh, they just can't be beat. They're number one uh, for good reason. The little smoky prevails. Yeah, those are top notch. <laughs> like I like it in the crescent roll. Those are oh man, they're so good. Pretty much any form, but they're all yeah. it's just delicious. Yeah. I think you guys left off a, a crucial kind of Newman staple as well in the morning, not not the afternoon, but uh, the orange Danish rolls. Oh, oh yes, yeah, uh, those are. Amazing. I don't think anybody else eats those. Uh, well, we're keeping them in business then. It is delicious. Yeah, we are. I had never even heard of them until I came to uh, a Newman party. <laughs> loved waking up on the weekends and you, and then you can just smell it from waking up. My mom has made it. It's like, yeah, Swords Danish rolls. Uh, I could <laughs> oh. mow those. Oh, so good. All right. So there are your top five game day foods. All right. That was awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Sarah and Allie. I'm hungry. Yeah, I'm very hungry, actually. Go make me some. (laughs) I was just going to say, I think these guys might need to make this food for the first game day and see how that turns out. (laughs) That would be nice. All right, get out of here. Yeah, scram. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that was awesome. So thanks again to Sarah and Allie for stepping in and doing that. They handled it pretty darn well. Yeah, that was great. Uh, but let's get back to our questions here. We got a uh, we got a voicemail uh, from a uh, question about Pitt here, I believe. Hey, bros. It's Patrick from Pittsburgh. I'm just out in my yard, you know, doing doing beer and doing I don't even know. <laughs> uh, right? But I want to get your thoughts on Pitt and the Coastal. Uh, every single thing I've seen about the Coastal this year, who's a contender, who's not, haven't even seen so much as a mention for Pitt which seems odd to me considering they won the Coastal last year. It was underwhelming, I admit it. But we can, by all accounts, assume that Pitt upgraded at offensive coordinator and wide receiver coach Mark Whipple has had good quarterbacks and good passing offenses everywhere he's been. Uh, they lose a lot on the old line and running backs, but literally every year in my two-plus decades on this earth, Pitt has had a solid to really good run game, so I'm not worried about it. Uh, so they return some weapons on the outside. So if we can assume, you know, a step forward for Kenny Pickett, maybe a step forward for that passing game, that run game stays at least solid. And they return a whole lot from a young defense that struggled a whole lot early last year but made some strides as the season went on. I think it's safe to cautiously assume that Pitt will be a little bit better this year than they were last year. And they won the Coastal last year. I know it was underwhelming, like I said, but all in all, it just seems kind of odd to me that they're not even getting so much as a mention for the Coastal. Uh, love the podcast, guys. Hope you're all doing well. Just want to hear your thoughts. Thank you. 
All right. Well, thanks for the call, Patrick. Uh, you know, and apologies. You know, prior to your call, I pretty much completely forgot that Pitt played in the ACC title last year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but to his point, they are kind of an afterthought, and maybe they shouldn't be considering they they did win the division. But the problem for this year, and I'm going to plug our, our preview episode here as, as we'll dive into this uh, when we get to the Coastal and, and Pitt, they lose two 1,000-yard rushers. They lose four offensive linemen and 12 starters in total. Uh, I agree that adding Whipple um, could help. He's placing an emphasis on throwing the ball, but Pickett definitely is going to need to improve in order for that uh, that side of the game to be a threat. And But the one constant I've said over Narduzzi's tenure at Pitt is, has been the weak defense. And that's odd since that's his calling card as, as, a, as a good defensive coordinator in his day. So now with that being said, they did finish well on defense towards the end of the year outside of that, that Clemson game. But overall, it wasn't good statistically. So they're also going to need to improve on defense to be even more of a contender in the coastal. But they, they should be at least mentioned. I agree with him there. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's, it's a good point that they're, they're definitely a little bit of an afterthought. It, but it's the, the coastal is, it's super wide open. I mean, nobody's a huge front runner. Maybe who would be the front runner? Virginia, maybe. But. Can you really trust Virginia? I don't. You could argue Miami and Virginia Tech also. Right, for exactly. Sure. So it's, it's open. There's no front runner. So uh, Pitt definitely has a chance. I don't see it personally. Kenny Pickett is just. I mean, they finished 121st in the country in passing yards last year at at, at 141 per game. Like they just Pickett is at best a game manager to me. And you throw in the fact that he's not going to have a good as as good of a ground game. I mean, to Patrick's point, they usually do pretty well on the ground no matter what but i don't know four offensive linemen those two are learning back so that's i'm concerned kenny pickett's gonna be exposed to a little bit more than he was last year and probably struggle they do avoid clemson in the from the from the other side so that's a that's actually a big a big plus but i don't know i'd be surprised if they they won that coastal yeah i just think the problem isn't so much with Pitt necessarily it's I do think those other three teams arguably at the top of the division are are going to take bigger steps forward you got Miami might finally have decent quarterback play Virginia Tech is likely going to be a lot healthier this year and then Virginia just seems to get better every year under Mendenhall so it's just there's a lot of competition in the coastal but yeah you know they're they're definitely in the running yep uh okay next question comes from bubman5 on Instagram what player can an can a team not afford to lose the most in 2019? And since we actually answered a, a similar question to this a few episodes ago when we were talking about the the nation's most irreplaceable players. Irreplaceable? 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 I don't yeah. know. I-, <laughs> I just really wanted to say the E. <laughs> All right. So, Trey, on that episode, you said Adrian Martinez. <laughs> Brian, you said Sam Ellinger. And I said Khalil Tate. Uh, but this time, let's answer it again. But you can't say a quarterback. Fair enough. So, Trey, who's your answer now? All right. So, I kind of looked at the Big Ten West, actually, uh, for, for whatever reason. And A.J. Epinesa, defensive end for Iowa. Yeah, that's a good one. Now, hear that's me a good out. One. He, he's a game changer. And he's going to make the rest. A guy like him makes the rest of the D-line even better. And without him, the Hawkeyes would, would they would probably have little hope in the West. Um but with him, they can he can really solidify that defensive front. So I really liked him. And then 
also in that division, you go with a guy like Rondell Moore. Purdue doesn't have a ton of, you know, game changing playmakers. And so having Rondell Moore, he's a threat, you know, every time he touches the ball. Yeah, those are those are two good ones. I definitely considered both of those. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Epinesa with like full time snaps because he was essentially a backup last year. Obviously he played a ton, but yeah. This year he's he's the man. Yep. Okay, uh, I kind of had two in mind also, Trey, so maybe I'll just kind of stick to that theme. Uh, my first one was uh, Jalen Rager, the wide receiver for TCU. He somehow managed to put over a 1,000 yards receiving last year on that pretty terrible offense. So he was pretty much all they had in the, in the passing game, and I think it might be the same thing type of thing this year. So if they lose him, or if they didn't have him... Oh boy, uh, we might see uh, more Cheez It Bowl type of games uh, for <laughs> yeah. TCU. So, Jalen Rager is pretty darn important. Um, then my other guy, I'm going to go out west. I'm, I was going to go with uh, linebacker Evan Weaver for Cal. That guy was or is just an animal. He had over 150 tackles. Cal's defense carried them last year. They were incredible against the run, and Evan Weaver was the main reason why. So he's so you he's, literally stuck to the Cheez It Bowl. You did, True, yeah. I did. Wow. <laughs> Didn't even think about that. <laughs> Some quality players in that cheese it bowl. <laughs> yeah. uh, yep. I'm going with LaVisca Chenault at Colorado. So mm-hmm. last year, over a thousand yards, 11 total touchdowns, and he only played in nine games. And in a lot of them, he wasn't totally healthy at the end of the year. And even with that production, Colorado was 85th in S&P Plus. So... They're going to need him to step up even more this year, probably be healthy in all of their games if they're going to have any hope of of being decent on offense. They have a they have a pretty deep wide receiver core. That's probably They their, actually do. They actually yeah. do. There's who's their second JD Nixon, is that his name or I think So that's their best position group though. It is. It it's is the but, line I mean, that really really struggled. But without Chenault, I don't know. I just I wouldn't have yeah, much I hope know. for the offense. Yeah, they they need Chenault. No, it's true. All right, next up we got uh, another voicemail. Hey, bros, it's Braden calling from Michigan. Two questions for you today. One, do you guys ever indulge in FCS or Division Two or Three college football? And two, if you could have any guests on the podcast, who would it be? Also, I'd like to apologize to Trey for doubting you in the uh, quiz episode. I owe you that. That's all you get. thanks Braden. i'll I'll take whatever i can get (laughs) yeah i'll take it but uh in regards to your questions uh i follow the pioneer league conference in the fcs since that's where my alma mater plays uh you know albeit not not terribly intently i also check the scores occasionally of the top fcs teams yeah but not looking uh too hard at them but towards the end of the season i love watching the the playoff games uh, because they're usually on in the middle of the week towards the end of the year, like a Thursday or Friday night. Those are, those are great to watch. So I get into it more towards the lat- latter end of the season. Yeah. I've definitely watched a few like Wisconsin Whitewater, <laughs> yeah. Mount, Mountain Union D3 games a few years ago. I would watch those every, every now and then. I feel like North Dakota State, I've caught a few FCS games with them, but yeah, not really. I, I don't, I don't really follow it. Yeah. I like watching the the Montana type of games when it's like snowing and cold. Yeah, and those those to me are pretty sweet. Now, the other part, as far as a a guest uh, on the on the pod, it would be fun to get an active head coach that is that is at least candid 
but that's obviously harder during the season. So my answer would be Bruce Feldman <laughs> to see if we that's could one. if we could get any more classic quotes out of him. Cushy socks and soft underwear. Man, it just makes a guy feel great. Could you imagine <laughs> the, how viral that would go? <laughs> oh, I would love to ask him about that. Uh, no, Bruce Bruce is a good one. I said, uh, I agree with you about the coaches. I feel like typically coaches are boring. Yeah. So that's not necessarily my dream one. I mean, Lane Kiffin, he might be up there because maybe he'd be a little bit more candid. But yeah, uh, or I guess Mike Leach, but uh, he's not he's not high on my list. I'd go Rufus Peabody. Oh, Ooh, yeah. 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 Because uh, probably most of you listening don't even know who he is, but I think he's the smartest person out there talking about sports, uh, mostly from a betting perspective. And he actually bets college football professionally. So that would be cool to have him on. Bill Connolly is another one, obviously, that would be up there as well. So, yeah, if, if I wasn't going to go with the coach, I was going to say Bill Connolly. Uh, he would he would be pretty awesome to to listen to and to have on. But I, I was my main answer was I had to go with our Lord and Savior. So, yeah, well, that's all in the top of our heads. Yeah, that was clear. Number one for me. What's what's his name again, Ryan? Our Lord and Savior? Scott Frost. Mm. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, but honestly, the dream guests aren't necessarily like the most famous people. It's just people who I think would have fun with us like Ty Hildenbrandt was awesome right like that was yeah that yeah. was a lot of fun really fun to interview him a few months ago mitch light a few weeks ago was hilarious yeah that was a good episode too both of those were great like, and he knows everything there is to know about college football so it's it's hard to get much better than that little did we know our uh we're, we're, our interviews uh go pretty well here they have they have yeah uh okay what's our next question ryan okay we got kenny k1648 on instagram what is the best restaurant to watch a full slate of college football? Hooters. Hard to, hard to debate that. Hard to debate yep. that. No. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm tempted to go with with an easy answer like Buffalo Wild Wings. Right. They've got all the right. TVs. They can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong. I'm sure that would be great, but I feel like here in Southern California, where we live, I don't think the atmosphere would be all that great there on a Saturday because they're just we weren't a lot. We went to one with our. I remember our whole family went to That's one. That's right. Our, college football Saturday it was like dead yeah exactly and the conversation yeah. at the dinner table was horrible we thought we so. were gonna have to like make a reservation or something and we just walk in nobody's there yeah people don't care that much about college football out here so my answer would be to uh to find the whatever the dedicated college football bar is in your city for for whatever team has a big game that night so a couple years ago i went to the the local virginia tech bar when they had that opener against west virginia and it was awesome. It was packed. Everyone was wearing Virginia Tech gear. Everyone was actually watching the game. So that would be my recommendation. And just pretend like you're a fan of the team. Yeah. That's what I did. I was just cheering for Virginia Tech. It was fun. Yeah, no, it's, it, regardless of the place to, to watch, just the, the vibe and the atmosphere makes it so much better, even if it's not as, uh, you know, as quality of a place as you might, you might envision. But, uh, the cool thing about this question is that there's a lot of regional places in each city uh, that, you know, all of the listeners are probably thinking about instantly. For example, you know, I'll speak to Nebraska. They have these places called DJ's Dugout, which is just sensory overload in a good way with for viewing games. And it's just it's just the the atmosphere that you can get. And uh, most of the places where you can kind of turn your head and, and see another game on another big screen is is awesome. 
Yeah, the main thing is just having a lot of people there and having it be a, a cool atmosphere. There's a there's a place close to me here in LA. It's called Second Half Sports. I mean, it's awesome. There's huge TVs, but then it's like it's always crowded. You go there for a college football Saturday or an NFL Sunday. There's always a ton of people in there. So it's kind of my favorite spot to go, at least as far as LA. Sweet. Okay, Trey, what's our next question? It comes from at Doug Zerjal. Will Las Vegas host a national championship sooner rather than later? Uh, to me, I would have to say yes on this one. I mean, we I don't think they're going to be going back to Santa Clara anytime <laughs> no, soon. No, I don't think so. Based off what happened in that game. Uh, but Vegas would just make a lot of sense. Everybody loves going there. Uh, it's You know it would be absolutely packed. And who wouldn't want to go there? I'm sure people would make like a whole weekend out of or week out of it. It would be awesome. I, I want it to be in Vegas. I'd go. Yeah, with that new stadium, especially, obviously. And so right now, all the, all of the venues are already set through 2023. So it won't happen any sooner than that. But I don't think it'll be long after that, especially because sports betting is about to be legal in most states, especially by then. So I just I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. And they already have a Las Vegas Bowl. So at least there's a bowl game there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think this is, I think it's no question. They'll have it pretty soon. All right. Next question comes from Gamecocks coverage on Instagram. Should South Carolina fire Muschamp if they miss a bowl despite his recruiting success? Ryan, go off, Queen. Okay. Sure, Mike. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I think it kind of depends on uh, how the season looks. I mean, if they go five and seven with a bunch of close losses, I could see them keeping him for, for another year. But I mean, if they're getting blown out and not all that competitive, then yeah, it's probably time to let him go. I mean, this is year four, the huge growing pains should be over with. Uh, and it, it, the recruiting has been good, but it's not like it's elite. So there's really not like a huge reason to keep him. It's not like they can't keep recruiting pretty well with a new coach. Yeah, that's probably true. But on that recruiting front, I was kind of looking. I just looked at the last 10 years. It was it was fine even before that. But over the last 10 years, they've always been in that 15 to 20 range uh, for their, their rec- recruiting rankings. So it's not like the cupboard, cupboard has been bare going into his tenure and now with him being there. So, I mean, if he can't make a bowl game in his fourth year with that talent, I'd be pretty concerned i know you know it doesn't stack up with some of the other elite sec schools but at least to be bowl eligible that would be kind of crazy and and then the egg that they laid in the bowl game against virginia is going to be hard for me to forget until they prove me different right now yeah yeah the problem though is is that five and seven is definitely in play this year because they arguably have the toughest schedule in the country. Yeah, it's brutal. They've got Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia on the schedule. That's they also insane. Drew, they drew A&M from the West also, so it's just rough all the way around. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he if he doesn't make a bowl game, you know, are you really going to regret firing him? Sure, the next guy might do worse, but at least you're taking a chance, right? Yeah, exactly. It's not like they're having a bunch of success with him, so. Yeah, it's, yeah. No real risk. All right, uh, moving on to our next question here. Uh, with the transfer portal and the CFB playoff changing the landscape of uh, college football recently, what other drastic changes do you see coming in the next 10 years? I'm spicy! I just saw that on my soundboard and wanted to click it. All right. Um, so I got 18 playoff at the very least. Yeah. 
I've got players being able to make money off their name and likeness. That's that's all I got. Those are the two. Okay, well, that I got. sorry, to, took those. NCAA yep. football game. That's back. That's back. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, for player safety, I'm going to say no more kickoffs. The big wild card is the pay for play, and that's whenever that's triggered. That's going to be something that the courts deal with. Probably that's probably how it's going to initiate. And I just have no idea how that's going to happen or when it's going to be. So I'll just say it doesn't happen in the next ten years. Yeah, I completely echo everything you just said, Michael. I totally agree, especially on the monetary uh, element with paying the players and whatnot. I do think, though, that the one other thing you didn't mention is I wouldn't be surprised if conference realignment and all that chaos came back up like it did a few years back. If money becomes more of a factor with paying for players, then that could trigger uh, the effect of of teams changing conferences or, or joining super conferences. Yeah, there's always that talk about four super conferences and the group of five splitting off. Yeah. And if it were 20 years, maybe I'd get into predicting that. But in 10 years, I don't know, maybe, but who knows? I think we can all agree, though, that the biggest deal would be NCAA football coming back. Oh, of course. Yeah. The video game. Yeah, yeah for, video for sure. Game, yeah. Okay. Our next question comes from at Kevin McTeague 82. If UConn stays in FBS, any reason not to move to the triple option? Absolutely none. I love the idea. We are, all three of us, I'm sure, are going to say that we love this idea. I'm not sure which triple option coach they could get at this point. I'm pretty certain uh, the Army and Navy, they couldn't get Monkin or Tiamatololo, or Niamatololo, excuse me. Uh but they should. They should go after maybe one of their assistants or whoever. But they need to do something unique because they are pathetic right now. So might as well mix it up. Yeah. Yeah. No, no arguments be, here. I mean, they don't have to. It's not like it would be unprecedented unprecedented for them to return to being decent. But I think that would at least give them the the head start to do so. Yeah. The quickest path, probably. Yep. All right. That'll do it for the mailbag. But actually, we have some uh, mailbag questions here in the questionable finish. KennyK1648 on Instagram wants to know the best stadium experience you've had that's not USC or Nebraska. Well, I haven't been to a whole ton, uh, but I would have to go with Husky Stadium up uh, for up in Seattle. That is a, it's a beautiful scene there. It's right on the lake. It's pretty awesome. And then it's loud, really loud. And of course, when the two times we went there, Nebraska played there and they won both times. So... <laughs> It was great. Yeah, I, I actually went with Washington as well. And for me, the specific time was 2007. It was US number one USC at Washington. It was a packed house, and it was it was the loudest place I've ever been in my life. It was awesome. Didn't they? Is that the game they lost? No, that was USC won that one by three. Oh, okay, it was, it was a little later than okay. For me, it was probably I went to Wisconsin Camp Randall. It comes to mind with the jump around. Uh, that that was cool. They I went when they had Russell Wilson. Uh, but like, as far as one I haven't been, there's, I mean, there's so many, you know, LSU at night, Clemson running down the hill, Ohio State dot in the eye. But I think going to the whiteout at Penn State would be so cool. Yeah, that would be a good one. But how could you not say Athens, Georgia, Trey? I thought for sure you were going to go with that one. Yeah, I, I did love, I loved Between the Hedges. I loved that SEC atmosphere. I mean, it, it was a 50-50 toss between Wisconsin and Georgia. <laughs> okay. Mixing it up a little bit. At Deloyd69, who is a dog fan himself, so yeah, hope you didn't piss him off there, Trey. Uh, he asked us <laughs> on Twitter about the top five Pop-Tarts of all time. 
So I'm going to give my quick top five, and you guys tell me what you think. Number five, Hot Fudge Sunday. Never had it. It's it's a heavy one, but it's good. Number four, Cinnamon Roll. It's not a lot of icing on there, which is not great, but anything cinnamon flavored, I'm in. Number three, Cookies and Cream. And that's a shot in the dark because I've never had it, but it looks amazing. It must be really good. <laughs> I know what your number one is. Number but. two, S'mores. You got the gooey marshmallow. I know I was talking about it with Allie yesterday. She loves that one too. Oh, yes. Number one, we're going a classic brown sugar cinnamon. Oh, yeah, that is definitely going to be your number one. What happened to the strawberry? Strawberry's trash. I Strawberry's trash. You're trash. No, see, I, I, the brown cinnamon sugar or sugar cinnamon, whatever, is incredible. I also like the classic no frosting strawberry. Like you stick it yeah. in the in the microwave or the toaster for just like five ten seconds. Oh gosh! You know what the worst one is? The worst one is the wild berry. No, with the no the purple and the blue. It frosting. had that weird like line in it. Yeah, I I never thought I'd like that, but from time to time it was decent. Mm. Strong disagree. Can't believe you left strawberry off the top five. Wow. <laughs> yeah, people are not going to like that. That's like the most popular one. Yeah, you're wrong. All right, last question. At Deloid69, again on Twitter, says, If you could take any coach for out for a night of partying, who would it be? Trey, who you got? Holgerson and Gundy immediately come to mind. Mm, yeah. I, I think I'd lean to, to Gundy. I, I think he'd have some funny stories and, and would be a good time. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to go Joey Freshwater, Lane <laughs> Kiffin. It's the easy answer, but I think it's the best answer. I'm going to go with... Uh... I'm going to stick with the cheese it Bowl. I'm going to go with Justin Wilcox. Wow. <laughs> wow. It seems like he'd know, seems like he'd have, know how to have, have a good time. All right. A lot of cheese it Bowl references. <laughs> I hear, no, here, here's something else. Like, Ed Orgeron, you know, he's hard to understand sober. Like, what would he be like drunk? Like, is he more clear? Like, does it work the other way? I don't think so. Especially, like, in a loud bar. That would be difficult to understand for sure. Yeah. I thought about uh, Tom Herman. No, he'd start no. lecturing you about something. Zach Smith? No, no, too no, soon. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, thanks for those additions, Ryan. Um, You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the College Football Bros podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for sending in questions. They were great. Uh, apologies if we missed any, but I think we got to them all. Again, next week, we got two episodes previewing the ACC. We're going to predict the over-unders on everyone's season win total. We'll have a couple of fun segments in each episode. The questionable finish is is back for good now every episode. So be sure to listen, and we will talk to you next week. You've been listening to the College Football Bros. If you have any questions for the next podcast, email them to collegefootballbros at gmail.com. To keep up with the brothers on social media, like them on Facebook at College Football Bros. Follow them on Instagram at College Football Bros. And for their commentary on Saturdays, follow them on Twitter at CFB Bros. Thanks for listening. Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. 
And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today.